So over the last few uh, weeks, I have been thinking about a passage of Scripture, and so I want to preach on this text today. It's 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. We'll look at verses 1 through 7. And, And the reason why I've been thinking about it so much is because this passage of Scripture reminds me of our church. The churches of Macedonia remind me of the church at 10,500 Jollyville, Austin, Texas, 78759. Our church, uh, Great Hills Baptist Church, you say, what is, the, uh, what is the comparison? What is this all about? And I'll share this with you because I see in that church or those churches so much of what I'm seeing uh, in, in our church. And it is a very high and grand compliment. In 2008, I had the opportunity to visit these cities And it was a fascinating trip as we went to Philippi, went to Thessaloniki, that's what they call it, and uh, Berea. The Bible says in the book of Acts that in Berea, the believers, they sought out the Scriptures. They wanted to see if these things were so, the things that the Apostle Paul was teaching. And so I had the opportunity with this group. They gave me the Bible and they said, okay, we want you to teach from the book of Acts in the city of Berea. And I remember standing there in 2008, behind me are these beautiful murals of the Apostle Paul and other believers, and I got a chance to preach about these Macedonian Christians. The Apostle Paul knew them very well. He was the primary church planter and theologian of the first century. But he's making an appeal to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was excelling in so many spiritual gifts and discipline. In fact, in verse 7, Paul, he lists some of those things in speech, in love, in diligence, all these things you're doing a great job at, but here's the thing I want you to do a better job in, and I'm going to appeal to the churches of Macedonia to motivate you, to spur you on, so that you will excel in this grace also. Now, three times... In seven verses, the Greek word charis or charis is used. That is the word for grace. But it's a totally interesting slant that Paul puts on charis because a lot of times we think of grace, we think of God's undeserved merit, that God forgave us in Christ. We are sinful. Jesus is sinless. He took all of our sins upon himself. He died for us on the cross. He arose from the dead, and we are forgiven when we believe. And we think, yes, amen, that is grace personified. But that's not particularly what Paul has in mind when he uses this word three times when he is appealing to the church at Corinth to do what the churches in Macedonia did. Some of you are like, okay, well, tell me, what is it? It's giving. You say, excuse me? It's giving. Financial means to a need. You see, the church in Jerusalem had fallen on hard times. In in the first century, there was famine, there were difficulties. And so Paul, he's going throughout Asia Minor, and he's preaching in churches. He's starting churches, and he says, guys, we need to take up an offering. We need to give generously. We need to be very benevolent and very kind toward the mother church, right? That is the mother church. In Acts chapter 2, the church Really, the genesis, the inception of the church, Pentecost comes. The Holy Spirit comes, falls on those believers, and they go out and preach the gospel, and the gospel spreads throughout the known world. And now the mother church has fallen on hard times. And Paul says, church at Corinth, you are so blessed. And I want you to do what the churches of Macedonia did, and I want you to give very generously. 
So in two weeks, we get to come in our church once a year and only once a year. We come. It's always the Sunday before uh, Thanksgiving. And uh, we take up an offering, and we just come as a church. We all come at the same time. It's one of my favorite things. And we come, we bring our tithes and our offerings, and we bring above that to help meet the needs of our church. And I'll explain more about the needs of our church, but here's the direct correlation and comparison. The churches of Macedonia, they gave to the church at Jerusalem not out of abundance, but they gave out of great need. You see, they were not wealthy. They were not just rolling in the denarii or rolling in the dough. They, they, were not, they were not just doing great financially. They were struggling, and yet out of their struggle, the Bible refers to verse 2 as deep poverty, great affliction, and all of that, they said, God, we're, we're not very wealthy, and, we, and if we wait till we're wealthy, we're never going to do this. So God, here's our offering, and we give it to you, born out of great need. And, and Paul says, did y'all see that? Hey, church at Corinth, did you see what they did? They gave and they blessed the church at Jerusalem. And they did it not out of abundance, not out of the excess, not out of the overflow, but they did it out of their very need. I talk to people all the time and say, well, when I get my finances in order and when things turn around for me, Pastor, then I will give. Then I will tithe. When things And listen, you probably never will. Because you just have to step out on faith. You say, well, would you please show me that? Because this intrigues me. Does it really say that in the Bible? And it really does. And so here's my message to you today. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to look at verses 1 through 7. And I'm just going to walk you through the text. It'll take me some time to do this. And then at the end, I have two points and only two points. And then we will take up our offering and we will be on our way Man, that's a good song. Thank you, Ralph. I got kind of a, a, a worm in my brain there. I've got that song in my, in my brain, an earworm. Actually, there's a word for that. It's a song in my... Got an old church choir singing. Do y'all know that's the number one song in Christianity today? Over all the Christian radio stations, the song they just sang is, is number one. I like that. You're, you're welcome. Just thought I'd share that with you. <laughs> Here it is. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God. Okay, remember, what, remember how I defined grace a moment ago? Chorus, giving. Just use the word synonym, giving. I'm making known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. That would be Philippi, that would be Berea, Thessaloniki. Those are those kind of churches. And here, here's what I'm telling you, church at Corinth, that in a great trial of affliction, is there any way that we can mistranslate those few words? No, we'd have to try hard. Great, not just a trial, not a miniature trial, but a mega trial. I don't know what the trial was. It may have been persecution. It may have been just absolutely bankrupt. They had no money. But whatever their great trial of affliction, they had great joy. There was an abundance of joy in the midst of their affliction, and even in the midst of their deep poverty. Do y'all see that? Great trial of affliction and deep poverty in the midst of that they had great joy, and it abounded in the riches of their liberality. Isn't that powerful? That in the midst of so much trial and pain and difficulty, they said, God, there is a need, and we're not going to wait. We're going to meet that need the best we can, and so here's the offering. Paul, take it. Paul's probably going, are you sure? Do you want to be that generous? I mean, after all, you guys have lots of needs. 
In fact, you, you got deep poverty and you got... But you know what? They knew something that oftentimes we as Christians in the 21st century forget. That we're no more like God than when we give. And it's so attractive to God when we give of our financial means, even when we feel like, I just don't really see how I'm going to do that. Now, as the pastor of Great Hills, I, I just got to tell you something. How do I say this? Um, let me just say it. People come to me all the time because they think we're wealthy. <laughs> Preacher, you know this. You know this. They look at this facility, man, I am one of the most popular guys in Austin, I'm, I'm telling you. And they, they make appointments with me, and they want to call me, and they want to talk to me. And you can ask Miss Kathy Jones, my administrative assistant. And they come in, and I meet with all of them, and I share with them the same story. Same song, just different verse, and it goes something like this. We're poor. <laughs> and they're like, really? I said, well, yeah, let me explain to you. And I began to explain to them, listen, we, in many ways, we have some very tight financial constraints. We still owe about five point something million dollars on our present facility. And that's about $57,000 a month that we have to pay. That is our house payment. And then we have aging facilities that constantly need upgrading and need help. And so, but here's what I tell people. I say, listen, hold on just a second. We're going to help you. And they like, you are? I said, yes, we are. And, and by the way, you do. Almost everybody that comes to me, I'm able to help them some. And we give to them, not out of a super abundance, but we give to them out of, out of much need. You say, well, you don't need to do that. You need to spend that money on us. We need to take care of us. Then, no, no, I, I believe in this passage. And I believe that we are a whole lot like those churches of Macedonia when now we are given out of a great sense of need and a great sense of debt. But this is what I tell the people. I say, but you hold on just a second. There's coming a day that I'm going to help you a whole lot more. And then they get excited. Those who have a big vision, they go, tell me more. I said, well, in less than three years, Great Hills Baptist Church will go from poverty to surplus. And you say, that's interesting. How, how's that going to work? Well, we will. We will go from owing about 5.8 whatever million dollars to owing no money, $2 million in the bank, and no longer owing $57,000 a month. That's, and then their eyes get real big, and they go, wow. You say, well, how did that happen? I just say, God, God's doing this. So you think I'm popular now? Wait till 2020. Can you imagine? And I want to do what we're doing now. We're going to help as much as we can. And I'm serious. You would be so proud if you knew the 25 ministries, 24 to be exact, ministries that we're supporting from church planting all over the world to, I mean, all sorts of benevolence, all sorts of ministries. And it's not a whole lot when you look at the grand scheme of things, but it does my heart so glad to know that we're doing what we can with what we have, knowing there's coming a day where we're going to be blessed far more and we can do even more. But let me ask you something, though. What did the churches of Macedonia do that got them in such trouble? Because you just read to us they had great need, great poverty, much affliction. What sin did they commit so that they were in such a bad way? Because after all, you, surely they did something wrong because they were experiencing hard times. And let me just share some truth with you right now, okay? Sometimes 
We get ourselves in trouble and we don't have anybody to blame but ourselves, okay? We do stuff that is just not very smart. And God, as a benevolent, gracious parent, our heavenly parent, he spanks us and he disciplines us, right? And I get that. And we all get that. If we are Christians, we know we know what is right, and we say, well, I know what is right, but I'm going to do my own way, and God just spanks us and gets us back in shape. But I just want to share with you something. Now, this is very important. This is the message I had to get across to you. Sometimes you do everything you're supposed to do, and you still have difficulty. You still have problems and afflictions and cancer and Parkinson's. You still have all of these troubles like the world has, and you haven't done anything wrong. And you're like, well, please tell me, why is that? You need to ask God that, okay? I don't know the answer. I just know that the churches there in Macedonia, as best I know, they had not committed some egregious sin. They had not rebelled against God. They had, they had been pleasing God and doing what God wanted them to do, and God allowed them to go through some very painful harsh, I mean, significantly difficult times, but yet even in the midst of that, they didn't get offended. They didn't blame God. They didn't get mad at God. They just said, okay, God, this is what it is, and God, we want to give you an offering. Isn't that sweet? And I think that's what we're doing here at, at Great Hills. So this is where I have a real hard time with the health and the wealth and the prosperity gospel that's being preached and promulgated all over America. Y'all know how that goes, right? Just give you money, all your problems are going to be taken care of, God's going to give you a big mansion, going to give you a couple of Cadillacs, and he's just going to give you a beach house, you want a lake house, give you a lake house, you want a, you want a house in the mountains, you get a house in the mountains. All you got to do is just sow this seed and give me your money. And what they're not telling you is I'm going to take about 50% of it, I'm going to get the mansions, and I'm going to get all these things, and I'm going to bring me your money. And that gospel is being preached all over America, and people are falling for it but not just in America, literally all over the world. And here's my question to the health and the wealth and the prosperity gospel preachers. What are you going to do with the persecuted church? What are you going to do with them? They have been faithful. They have given their lives for the gospel. And they've gotten incarcerated, they've gotten tortured, they've been beheaded, and so that's where it breaks down. When you say, yeah, if you just do the right things, then God's obligated to do the great thing, and so all will be well. And it just does not work like that, does it? I mean, we experience hardship and difficulty and painful times not because we're out of the will of God. Sometimes it's because we're precisely in the will of God. And you say, whoa, what kind of gospel is that? That's a New Testament gospel. But here's the beauty of it. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the difficulty, Jesus comes along in, in it with us, and he ministers to us, and he loves us. And out of that great need, we're able to give God a sacrifice of praise, and we're able to give God our financial resource. It's a beautiful thing. I know this is a little deep. I know this is not what you're going to hear on, on a lot of, of pulpits in America because this is hard teaching. What about Eric Little? I thought about him this week. Last year, I finished his biography, uh, For the Glory, by Duncan Hamilton. And I really encourage you, if you like history and you like Christian history especially, I encourage you to read this. Dun, 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 dun. Y'all know what that is? Chariots of fire. That's right. Eric Little, 1924. They called him the Flying Scotsman. They called him that because he was slow as molasses. No, I'm just kidding. That man could run. Like the wind he could run. Fastest man in all of Scotland. 
which gave him an entree into the 1924 Olympics in Paris, France. Summer Olympics, they said, man, this guy is a shoe-in to win the 100-meter race. And he was, until he found out that the race would be run on Sunday. And he thought, uh-oh, I can't run on a Sunday. And that was his conviction. His parents were missionaries in China. He was a very devout Christian young man. And that was his personal conviction. He's like, I cannot run on the Lord's day. And so he tried and they tried every way they could to have them postpone it, to move it to Saturday, move it to Monday, whatever. And they said, no, the race is set on Sunday and you're going to run the race. That's what, that's what the superiors told him. In Scotland and the United Kingdom, they're like, you're our hope. You're the fastest guy on the planet, man. You've got to run. And he says, I will not run. And he didn't. Didn't run. So a few days later, they said, well, you want to enter the 400-meter race? He said, 400 meters? He says, I don't train for 400 meters. I only train for 100. And they're like, well, why don't you give it a shot? He says, okay, I'll run. Get, get, I, I'm not very good at math, but y'all, I know there's a difference <laughs> between 100 meters and what? 400 meters. Eric Little ran the 400-meter race, and oh, my word, he won the gold medal. Isn't that amazing? Most of us, we stop right there with Eric Little because we know that story. Oh, can I give y'all just a little Olympic historical factoid note? Sure you can. Okay, let me tell you this real quick. In 1908, there was another Summer Olympics, and a man by the name of Forrest Smithson, he was going to run in the race of the hurdles. Y'all know what the hurdles are. You jump over the hurdles, you run. He was a dedicated Christian, 1908, in London, England. And they said, well, by the way, the race is going to be on a Sunday. He goes, what? Sunday? Can't we just run some other day besides Sunday? And they said, nope, we're going to run on Sunday, and you either run or you don't run. And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. <laughs> a true story. He said, I'm going to run, and I'm going to have my Bible in my hand the whole time. So he did. So he got, read it, read his story, 1908, London Olympics. Duncan Hamilton's book, For the Glory, he shares it. Has his Bible in his hand. I don't think it's this big, by the way, but he has a Bible in his hand. He runs and wins the gold medal. <laughs> and God blessed him. God, God honored that. So back to Eric Liddell. He is, um, man, he is living large after winning the gold medal in a race he didn't really train for. And they were giving him offer after offer. Man, we, you're, you're going to be a star. In the world, track and field, you can go travel all over the world and compete. You'll be a very wealthy man. And he said, hold on just a second, time out. I'm not going to do any of that. Because God is calling me to be a missionary. Just like my parents. And they gave their life in China. I'm going to go to China and I'm going to serve my king all the days of my life. And people thought he had lost his ever-loving mind. You're like, you're crazy. How can you go give all of that up? I mean, God's given you the speed, brother. Run and, and get the fame and get the glory. And Duncan Hamilton says he does for the glory, but it was a different kind of glory. So he goes to China. Y'all know the story? He's arrested by the Japanese in northern China. The Japanese put him in an internment camp with the other foreigners, mostly British people like himself, they put him in prison, and he dies. 
at 43 years of age, February the 21st, 1945, the war is almost over, and Eric Liddell dies of brain cancer in a prison in China. He had three little girls back home. They had moved to Canada, and his wife, Florence, and he wrote them one last letter, and he knew this was it. And he wrote this beautiful letter to his wife, Florence, and he finished the letter with four words, and they're powerful words. And he said these words, all will be well. And he dies. What do you, what do, you do with people like that? Well, how, how, do, how, do you, how do you process that? I mean, you got a guy that, why'd he get cancer? Some of y'all think, I think a whole lot of other people ought to get cancer. Not him. Okay, so what did he do wrong, Brother Danny? Surely he did something very egregious in camp, right? And God punished him. No, 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 no. Sometimes we go through hard times, not because you did the wrong thing, but praise God you had the guts to do the right thing. And you die in this world, but let me tell you something. Then you go to heaven and you spend eternity with Jesus and its own. All right? That's the glory. That, that's the, really the glorified life. Are we at verse 3? Let's go to verse 3. I told you I'll stretch the text out, and then we'll give you the two points, and we'll go home. So I'm glad you don't have five points, brother. We'll be here. All. I know, I know. It's just two. Just two points. Paul says, for I bear witness that according to their ability, there, the antecedent for there would be the Macedonian churches, all right? You see what Paul's doing is very, very wise. He's appealing to the church at Corinth based on the example of the Macedonians. He said, listen, according to their ability, yay, way beyond their ability, they were freely willing. They implored us. Paraclesis is the Greek word. That sound familiar? Parakaleo means to implore, it means to encourage, it means to ask. Paraclesis is the Holy Spirit. The paraclete is the Greek word used for the Holy Spirit, the great encourager, the great one who empowers us. And so the churches of Macedonia begged Paul. They said, no, Paul, no, quit, quit. I know we're poor, and I know we're in a tough way, but you've got to take this offering because we're not just giving this to you, brother. We're giving this to God. And you've got to take this, okay? Take it. So they implored us, they begged us with much fervor, with much urgency, that we would receive the gift, receive this financial gift, and the koinonia. Isn't that beautiful? And the sharing, the fellowship of ministering to the saints. It'd kind of be like on two weeks from today, and I always sit in the same spot. And you come November the 19th, you come, you bring your offering. Some of you are going to come just, just right out of this text. You're going to go, don't know how I'm going to do this, but God, here's my gift. We're, we're given out of need. And some of you, I will know your story, and I will be tempted like the Apostle Paul to stop you and say, hold on just a second. I think God will understand. Everybody will understand if you don't give that. Okay, You need to keep that to yourself and take care of yourself. And then you look at me and say, Pastor, get out of my way. I'm doing this for God. God put this on my heart. Excuse me. I'm giving my offering. That's exactly what is happening in this text, except on a collective congregational scale. And then I love verse 5. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 
And Paul, he just starts preaching now. He just says, and not only as had we hoped, but they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? They gave themselves to Christ. And listen, when you give yourself to the Lord, you really give yourself to the Lord. He gets all of you, including your pocketbook, right? Including your purse and your wallet. And not only did they give themselves to the Lord, then they gave to us by the will of God. You all ever seen that little comedy, little, little comic strip that a guy, he, he accepts Christ and the pastor takes him to the, to the baptistry and right before he, they dunk him, he goes, hold on just a second, pastor. And he takes his wallet out and puts it up <laughs> so when he gets baptized, his, his wallet doesn't go under. This church didn't have that problem. They said, God, you, you got all of me and all of it is going to get baptized. So he said, we urge Titus that as he had begun... Now, Titus, who is he? We know Titus. There's a whole book in the Bible named after Titus, one of Paul's missionary colleagues. So we urged him that he would also complete this grace in you. Oh, hold on now, church. Help me now. It's verse 6. What, what did I say is synonymous with grace in this passage of Scripture? It's giving. It is. It's giving. And so Paul is like, church at Corinth. Man, this church in Macedonia... They gave out of great need. You're, you're not in great need. Church at Corinth, you're doing pretty well, and you, you're very, very blessed. So if they can give out of great need, then how much more should you give out of great abundance? Ouch! That's a pretty powerful punch. You say, well, I got a problem with that. Then you got a problem with God, because <laughs> this is God's Word. And this is Paul's methodology of appealing to the people to give. Hey, listen, I found out I'm no Apostle Paul, but you've got to be very creative to get people to give. And I don't understand that. Tom, I don't understand. Why, why can't I just say preach and say, y'all give? And everybody goes, woo-hoo! Run down the altar. Man, I want to give. He said, well, it just do not work like that, Brother Danny, because I tell you, times are tight, and we just got to hold on to what we got, brother. No, you don't. You got to let go of what you got, and God will bless you. God will take care of you. Now, you got to remember what I said. Don't misunderstand what I just said. God will bless me, and, uh, and, and how is that going to bless me now? I'll just leave that up to God. Sometimes God chooses to bless you financially, and I have no problem with that. I have no doubts with that whatsoever. I've been the, I've been the recipient of that. I've seen my little family give and give out of need, and then we just watch God bless us. Sometimes you, you do the, 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 the right thing, and, and, and God blesses you in ways that you think will be blessed. Sometimes you do the right thing, and God allows you to go through hardship. You say, what's up with that? I don't know, but that's, that's our word. That's, that's the word I want you to hear today. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you are fearful that you're not so blessed and times are hard, but maybe you did something wrong. No. I mean, that's between you and God. And you know if your heart is pure and you're walking with the Lord, you have no shame, you should have no guilt. You just have to trust the sovereignty of God. But now Paul closes it. He says, now, church at Corinth, as you overflow and abound in everything, in church at Corinth, you've got it going on. You're in faith. And speech, remember, they're the ones with the spiritual gifts of tongues, interpretation of tongues, and, and they got kind of haughty about that, kind of got proud about that, right? And Paul's like, dude, you don't need to be proud about that. You need to be proud about preaching the Word of God. That's far greater than speaking in some unintelligible tongue. Well, that's another sermon, but anyhow. In faith, in speech, in knowledge, in diligence, in your love for us, Church of Corinth, you're amazing. Now, do the grace. Give, give, give. Like your brothers and sisters gave 
in the churches of Macedonia. You say, well, please explain to me what you said earlier, that we're poor. What, what do you mean by poor? Well, usually at this time of the year, Great Hills, we, we're usually a hundred, couple hundred thousand dollars. Uh, how do I say this? There's great debate on what I'm about to say, right? My finance committee and my beloved chairman, chairperson, Lisa Hall, our great executive pastor, worship pastor, they're listening really carefully to what I'm about to say. I know them. They're like, how are you going to say it? Say it. I can either say we are overspent or I can say we are undergiven. And they're like, it's the latter. It's undergiven. And they're right. Because it's not like we have been just frivolous with our monies. We're very, very tight with our budget and with our monies. So we are under given $535,000 in 2017. Say, so come again? How, how do you spend $535,000 more than you've taken in for 2017? That's pitiful stewardship. That's, that's an awful thing. How in the world could you do that? There are some things we have absolutely no control over. We have to pay $57,000 a month. We have to pay, this is, a, this is a huge, huge facility. One of the reasons we got ourselves in this situation, and I've my, only myself, and I almost said to blame, but I can't say I blame for being obedient. When we gave that church plant, come on, take the money and run. They took the money and ran, all right? And that's exactly what we asked them to do. We said, take your tithes, take your offerings, no longer give them to Great Hills Baptist Church. Give them to Cornerstone Church. Y'all remember? We sent out 34 of them, and a bunch of others have joined in with them. I would say probably 40 or 50 of them used to be in our church, and now we sent them off to that church, and I could not be more proud and grateful to God that we said, go, and in the name of Jesus, we bless you, and it's created a deficit for us, a huge deficit. Would you do it over again? Yes, I would. That's why the sermons for us today, we get to give out of need. Not out of disobedience, but out of our need. So, that's, that's the message. You say, what were the two points? Okay, that's right, let me give you the two points. First, give yourself to God. Give yourself to God. You do that in one of two ways. You do it initially through repentance and faith. You trust in God to be your Savior. And then you do it on a daily basis. You surrender yourself to God, your life, your finances, your, your marriage, your health. You give it all to the Lord. You, you give yourself daily to God. Y'all remember in Malachi chapter 3, it's verses uh, 6, 7, and 8. And, and they're going through verse 10. Malachi tells the, the people, he says, listen, you've robbed God. And, and they say, we haven't robbed God. What are you talking about? And in verse 8 it says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, God says. And you say, well, how have we robbed you? And God says, you've withheld your tithes and your offerings. So the first thing you do is you give yourself to God. And when you genuinely give yourself to God, that includes your finances, your wealth, and your everything. And that's my second point. Give your tithes and offerings to the Lord. And he takes it. And he does miracles with it. Have you given yourself to God? I mean, really, have you said, Lord, be my Lord and be the Lord of my finances? And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. I can tell you what you're passionate about by looking at your debit card or your credit cards or your 
a checking account. What is a checking account? Anybody write checks anymore? You know what I'm saying? I can tell what you're, what's very important to you based on the monies that, that you give. And when you give yourself to the Lord, it's just like it's naturally you want to give to your local church. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm, I'm actually kind of excited. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know how we'll close the year 2017. I do know we are giving, we are supporting, we are blessing, not out of abundance, but out of need. And it would be just like God to put it on you, the people's hearts, to say we're going to take care of that and we're going to finish this year strongly. And I just want you to know, Ashley and I, we will be praying, we'll be seeking the Lord, and we're going to give. We're going to give. i got a number in my mind, and I know my wife, and she's going to be fine with it, but we're going to give our tithes as we normally do, we give extra to missions, we give extra to building vision, and then we're going to give a, a big extra of what we can to help make up the deficit of 2017. And I'm not going to ask you to do anything that me and my family are not going to do. And I just want you to know, we, we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're blessed. We're honored to do this. And we're honored to serve as a pastor here at Great Hills. And I'm, I, I'm just so believing God that he will take care of this and, uh, and then some in, in our lives and in the life of our congregation. So let me just ask a question. Was that too painful of a tithing sermon? Is that, is that all right? Okay, good, good. Some of y'all are like, hey, preach on money. Hey, preaching on money. Pastor, all you do is preach on money. No, no, hardly I ever preach on it. Some of you are going, that's right, because you need to preach on it more. And I get that. I do. I love you, by the way. I love you. Preach it, brother. If I were to do what Jesus did, I'd preach on money every, almost every other Sunday. <laughs> he said, no, no. He preached more on money than he did heaven, hell combined. He preached on money more than anything. You know why? Because where your money is, it's where your heart is, all right? My, my heart and my money's coming here. And I bless other ministries and agencies, but first and foremost, I love this place. And I want to I be the first one in line to come November 19th. It's 12 o'clock and I'm done. Let's pray. All right, here we go. God, thank you for letting me preach on tithing and giving. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we're being obedient and we find ourselves in a, in a fickle, Lord, in a tough spot. But I thank you, Lord, that you've blessed us with uh, reserves and savings. Thank you, God, for savings that we're able to draw from and pay our bills. But, Lord, I pray we could replenish our savings and that we could replenish our budget reserves, Lord, through the generosity of your people. So, God, I pray, first of all, that everybody, everybody, Lord, that has not first given themselves to God, they would. They would say, here I am, Lord, I'm... I need you. I need you in my life, and I surrender my life to you for the very first time. Can I share with you what that looks like? With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, it looks a lot like this. Jesus, you gave your all for me on the cross. You died for my sins. And I trust in you, I believe in you, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins, oh God. And by faith, I'm trusting you to be my king, to be my savior. That's what it looks like. To give yourself to God. I mean, no strings attached, nothing held back. Just saying, God, I am yours. Take me, O Lord. And that's beautiful. That's called salvation. It's called being born again. It's called, it's called the new life, the abundant life. And I invite you, if you have not done that and you know who you are, 
Would you just surrender to the Lordship of Christ? He loves you. He created you. He died for you. He will take you. He will take care of you. And the second point is let's, let's make a commitment. Let us give our tithes and our offerings to the Lord. And as we do that, for some of us, we're going to have to give out of a place of, of hurt and of a place of need. And to be honest with you, that's what Ashley and I will do. We will give out of a place, out of a place of hurt and need, and it's because we believe. We believe in what the vision and what God is doing at Great Hills Baptist Church. And I'm just going to ask you, if you would pray with me over the next couple weeks, it's not going to be equal gifts, but it will be equal sacrifice, I do pray. So, Lord, take our, our lives and our offerings. and Lord, we count it a great, great privilege to know you, to be born in this country to have the great freedoms that we have that so many of our brothers and sisters do not have. And help us, Lord, of all people, to be very gracious and be very kind and generous, Lord, as we bless our church because our church, Lord, oh, goodness, our church is able to do so much through the faithfulness and the obedience of our people. Bless this invitation, oh God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. We'll sing to the Lord. God bless you. Thank you so much.